one sounds a bit quieter, doesn't it? It's funny how the same thing can be very different. So, can everyone hear me well enough? Yeah? Just that? All right. So please let us know. I mean, ideally the sound reaches you well, so... Okay, it helps if you put the mic up higher. <coughs> there. Okay, is that better? I had even put it on your other lapel so the mic is closer. <laughs> <laughs> Technology. <laughs> the trick is just because when you clip it, it goes to the outside, but if you put it on the other lapel, yes, it'll stay in the middle. Actually, designed for men. Yeah. Yeah? Is that better? Yeah. Okay, so this is a bit what it's like, isn't it? (laughs) We're we're having to attune. You know, we sit down, we come back, and we're, you know, we come back to the simple thing of sitting, however we're sitting, establishing uprightness and mindfulness in front of us, but that takes a lot of attuning. And as we you know, heard when Jatindriya read the Sutta, the Anapanasati Sutta last night, actually before the Buddha plunged into this extraordinary teaching, people had actually been attuning. They'd been cultivating the path factors, the things that actually give the capacity to attune. They've been cultivating hard qualities. They've been practicing the, the right efforts to being able to recognize what's wholesome, what's helpful, and what's unwholesome, what's unhelpful, and knowing when to pick something up and when to put it down. These things have been being cultivated. The spiritual faculties have been being cultivated, so there there was a sense of faith and and a kind of confidence, a confidence that waking up is possible, and the progression that comes from there, that there's energy for practice, that there's mindfulness, that the with that there's a kind of collectedness and presence and capacity to actually penetrate reality. Mm path factors were happening. So we, we recognise, uh, you know, it wasn't a teaching given into a kind of vacuum. It was given into a community that had been cultivating. And it's the same with ourselves, isn't it? We come from various places, but there's not one of us here who haven't been cultivating the factors, the qualities that support our ability to be present. So we sit down, and each time the work is the same. Sitting down, feeling what it feels like, establishing a posture that allows the mind to be upright, that has no strain in it, that has a sense of ease and well-being in it. But but it's not so um, devoid of energy that we're kind of just sinking. So we, we've been practicing finding this balance, this middle way. 
So we sit down, we tune. What's it like right now? Yesterday it felt different. This morning it felt different. How's it here and now? How, where, what is needed for balance, for mindfulness to be established? So our practice is an inquiry. And what's so extraordinary about, for me, about the Buddhist teachings is there's a kind of a cycling and a feedback system in all these practices. So the inquiry, the sense of oh, what's happening here, it supports the mind coming into presence. Inquiry supports the mind collecting. And the collecting, collectiveness, stability, samadhi of the mind supports inquiry. So these things keep working together and just deepening. They're not other than each other, they're coming together. Oh, and how much has been cultivated already, what is already happening in every moment when we're just establishing mindfulness, when we come out of kind of confusion, come out of proliferating mind into the immediacy of the present moment. So many path factors are actually present in that. So as Chitindri was saying, you know, we hear the whole Anapanasati Sutta and it feels like a lot, maybe. You realise in every moment the whole thing is there. The teaching practice is holographic. When you cultivate a moment, a right effort, right mindfulness is there, collectedness is there, right intention is there. On and on we could list all these factors that support waking up that are in this simple moment. And it can be really helpful to start discerning these, the factors that support our presence and the things that are happening that are taking us away. <clears throat> so often in a in the kind of rhythm of a retreat, the you know, first day there's just this huge sense of relief. Oh, just here. And the mind can actually maybe you know, shaking a bit, but it can have a sense of just being quite willing to settle a little. And then a day or so in, it starts going, it's hungry, it's used to a lot of sense contact, it's got used to being here, now it wants to feed. (laughs) So all of a sudden, things you've not thought about, maybe for 20 or 30 years, (laughs) seem very important. Yeah, can you feel that? I mean, I was sitting this morning and this thought came up. Extraordinary. Yeah? I remembered something that happened when I was 10 years old. And I could see that tendency of the mind to want to get into the whole story. Wow, you know, something's just looking for something to play with here. And we can just know that the, the you know, 
the first days of a retreat, I always think of as kind of fasting. You know, we're, we're fasting from the kind of foods we normally feed on. You know, our, our food is physical food, the food of the body is a little more out of our control. You know? So we can't just go off and have a packet of McDonald's or whatever way we kind of amuse ourselves. You know, we're just here with what is offered. So that can bring a kind of um, kind of destabilizes us a little. Yeah? And then there's the the food of, of sense contact. And if we've been hooked up to a lot of electronic stuff or to the news or whatever, to suddenly not have that happening, to not be, you know, in a lot of talking and contact, the mind, it can really make the mind feel, you know, like it isn't this huge fast. It's gone from having the contact with such a complexity of things into this kind of simplicity. And as Lumpur Cha would say, you have to get a taste for freedom. Yeah. So we're, we're changing what we're feeding on. We have to get a taste of what it feels like for things to be simple. To not have the mind filled with all the, the kind of horror of the news or whatever the, the obsession has been. Just to be in the loveliness of being here. So we notice this and we realize, oh yeah, this, this system is adjusting. It's not, can't feed on doing either, you know. We've been working, I mean, I, you know, we take little retreats at the place Eliza and I live, and I can see my mind sometimes, because I work a lot in the grounds and garden, yeah, and the, the urge to keep on weeding and pruning and, you know, so much needs to be done. Yeah. Oh. And I was out walking to yesterday and I said, isn't it wonderful to be where nothing needs to be done? I don't even know what a weed is here. <laughs> <laughs> so peaceful. So we, we recognise this, that there's this kind of energy of doing we're, we're usually feeding on and we're just letting that settle. What a relief. There's nothing that needs to be done. So once again, just getting a taste for that and realise that, yeah, there can be, you know, the old metaphor of, a, you know, a big train, an engine that's been pulling a whole lot of carriages behind it. These are the carriages of our doing. And we, we come to the retreat <coughs> and we pull on the brake, yeah? And then you get that boom, 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 because all the carriages stop, yeah? yeah? And that can be a bit what it can feel like in these first few days. And, oh dear. You just, you start to feel the results of how busy you've been. Or whatever, you know, however it's been happening. Yeah? Oh, that's all that's happening. I'm just feeling a little whiplash here. And just to, to recognise it. It's nothing more than that, is it? It's just when you've been running, it's very hard to go to standing still. It's just an energetic um, 
adjustment that's happening. So, I don't know about you, but I can find it really helpful to recognise that you know, there is this, this little time, the first few days of a fast, are usually a bit... And then all of a sudden the body relaxes into it. That becomes delicious. Yeah. So we keep heart with the process. We recognise how could it be different? How could it be different, Tani? You've been running all over the world. No. Now you're here. There are a lot of different images, a lot of different things. It just has to well up and just dissipate. It's nothing going wrong. And the skill is in not getting caught by it. You know, that we, we stay with the mind upright and mindful. You know, and what's that like when there's this, <coughs> this stuff, the mind wanting to feed, all this impact and whiplash going on. Yeah. So, the, to me, the trick of it is to recognize going into the proliferating thoughts takes me away. You know, this is the movement into sleep, into the kind of ignorance. It comes out of wake, movement away from wakefulness. Yeah? So, if we just stay with the bi- simple binary of what helps me wake up to this moment? What takes me into kind of dullness and sleepiness? Things become really clear. Going into the planning, going into the thinking, seems to take me away. And it just agitates. You know, it doesn't comp- help with the settling, it doesn't bring a sense of well-being. It may have a kind of deliciousness, but it's like eating junk food. And so to recognize what's junk food and what's healthy. And how we can really start attuning to this is the body is our greatest friend. we, We touch Nibbana with the body. Practice is embodied experience. We're not, we're not trying to do this with our head. We're not doing it from ideas or views or anything. We're doing this from a lived, experienced reality. Yeah. So the things that hinder the mind, you know, the classic hindrances. What do they feel like? You know, or the underlying tendencies that these come out of. The kind of wanting, not wanting, kind of trying to take birth. You can just feel them energetically. And for me it's really why well, it's really helpful to have the sense of the mind being upright. Because I can see, you know, wanting, not wanting, have this energy to them. Wanting pulls me forward, not wanting, I'm kind of attracting back. And I can feel them as energies in the body. We can just feel, you'll have your own way of recognising when the mind comes out of balance. But what is it like to just be here, kind of upright, present, available? 
and these kind of these others take us out of that experience of availability. It's like suddenly everything's closing down. Yeah. So just to feel it, what it feels like when we're open and we're here. How lovely it is. Just so simple. It has. I don't know if any of you came and had a look at Lumpur Cha, but it's worth having a look at what it looks like just to be here. So happy. And you know, we take we can take such beings, such images to give us good heart, but it's actually worth doing this. Because it does take an effort, doesn't it, to come out of the stuff we're feeding on. Wow, is that what it looks like? So relaxed, so happy. So used to the taste of freedom. So we we just, wherever we can get a sense of connecting with our willingness, with our sense of the possibility of each moment, take it. So that we have the heartfulness for this. Because the things that hinder the mind, they're not very much fun on a level. <laughs> what they feel like in the body. What's that? I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time hearing. All right, I'll speak a bit louder. You're in a kind of duller spot in the hall, so. So yeah, you turn that way because your mic's over there. It's just a very um, direct thing to where you're turning your head. Thank you. Start wearing neckties. All right, so excuse me if I don't look at you. I'll just. <laughs> or maybe they say the Buddha turned the, his whole body. <laughs> Who said that? Oh, it's, a, it's the kind of elephant look. So I don't think I'm capable of it. it. <laughs> so you have this sense of what hinders us. And rather than getting caught into the thinking, to come into the energy of them. And there are some really wonderful metaphors that we were given, that Buddha gave, to describe these. And I find them helpful because I can contact them as energies, this kind of energetic experiences, you know, the, the kind of sensual desire. You know, and he talked about it being like water filled with red, blue, yellow dye. You know, so coloured and bright, but we can't actually see ourselves in it. We can't see what's for our own well-being, we can't see what's for another's well-being. We can't see what's caused it. You know, we just kind of just obscures our visibility. And when we feel that that um, colour internally, what does it feel like? Mm when you're wanting something, when your mind's got obsessed with food or some, something it's feeding on, what does it feel like? So we just start to know these as direct 
physical experiences. And we, some of us are more familiar with one than another. You know? We each have our favorite thing that we get trapped by. So you'll get, you, we get to know, we get to know the feeling of it. So when we're here with the breath, and we're not with the breath, but we feel this energy in the body, we go, oh, that's the mind wanting to feed. And it's just that much. We've come out of the story, we've come out of the proliferation. We're just with the physical experience of it. It's become a dhamma, rather than something that hinders us. We're, we're awake to it. We're now on the side of wakefulness. So rather than being captured by something, we're actually having the capacity to recognize it. And the body is a tremendous support for this. Kind of ill will feels like. We talked about like a boiling pot. And we know the kind of heat, the kind of turmoil when the mind is feeling resentful. They said this, they said that, they shouldn't have done this, they shouldn't have done that. And just when we feel the kind of heat and turmoil of it, and if we're off in our head thinking it, we've lost touch with what's for our own well-being or the well-being of others. We've completely lost connection. But if we come into the embodied experience of it, we feel the heat of it. Oh, really, this is painful. This is dukkha. And everything starts changing, doesn't it? Because we're no longer feeding on, on kind of concepts or views. We're directly present to something. We're here, awake in the present moment. And this is the way we work with the hindering of the mind. We keep coming into the dumb of it. So really, this is the fourth foundation of mindfulness, isn't it? And you can see how you know, this awareness of the body is supporting. You know, one foundation supports another, and everything just keeps feeding and working together, you know, interacting, interconnecting. Sloth and torpor. Down where I was walking yesterday, you know, it made me think of it really strongly because it talks about a little pond covered with um, moss and algae. And the little pond down where I was was just covered with bamboo leaves. But that you, when you look in it, you can't see any reflection. You can't see clearly. And you can feel the kind of, um, kind of dull... It's like a mind that has no penetration. It can't actually penetrate to anything. And what it feels like in the body, heavy, like elephants sitting on top of you. Oh. Wow. But in that recognition, energy is there. Because we've started this inquiry. And with inquiry, energy comes. You know, it's, it's staggering. If we can actually 
align with what is happening, all the factors and faculties we need come into presence. So now we're not captured by dullness. We're recognizing it as an embodied experience, but even in that, it started shifting. So we're not having to fight with these things. We're not trying to pretend they're not happening because they're all part of waking up, aren't they? They're just another Dhamma. They come into existence from certain causes, and then when those causes change, they change. They come from not paying proper attention. But when we bring mindfulness, yeah, they're, they're very different. And you know, to come to my favourite hindrance, you know, worry, you know, worry, restlessness, this mind that talks about you know, water whipped up by the wind so it's agitated and <coughs> great waves. Once again, you can't see clearly. And if, you're, you know, if you have a tendency to this, you really know it because it's so unpleasant as a bodily experience. Yeah, kind of um, feeling the whole system. Oh yeah. And so occasionally, you know, I'll catch a thought happening and I'll go, worry. Because it's so clear. I, you know, the other day I was sitting, a thought came in about what would be good to mention, yeah, from here. And I could feel the body and I thought, this is just worry. We don't need to be thinking about this. It's, it's just that. If I forget something, Jatindra will remember. And if both of us forget, you folk know anyway. <laughs> so why why be spinning this stuff? You know, it's just just this little worry going on. Just subtle, but very clear. This thought comes, and you go, "Oh yeah, I can feel the energy underneath it." No, yeah, it's not a big worry. I mean. But it can just that moment, and then of course we're back into presence. If we like notice it immediately, it gets a bit bigger. Um, but still, the energy is there to recognise it with. Just come back. There is only this moment here. The next moment will look after itself, and if we've established the right conditions, it will arise on wholesomeness. Yeah. But if we don't, next moment, mind moment, experience moment, arises based on worry. Yeah. And we, if we really start looking at those, you oh, those are fascinating. Because the whole sense of me being here starts arising on this hindrance. It's powerful to start recognizing what comes first. This energetic, this experience, this hindrance, or ourselves, experience of me. And when we look closely, we realize we are the sense of me here arise on these contracted experiences. 
No wonder it's painful. So it's worth, they're worth really paying attention to because when we start to see how they arise and what they do, we start to get a lot freer. Why arise on worry? So, just recognize them. And doubt, just that sense of being in a very, you know, a dark, muddy pot in a dark room. Yeah. Oh boy, that sounds a bit painful when I think of it internally as experience. So what does that need? It needs feeling. And then it can just help to open our eyes and remember where we are. To come back into the confidence that brought us here in the first place. We see the Buddha, we see our Dharma friends, and we go, yeah. The only thing that's needed is just to rest into this moment. And we can put aside these obscuring, painful states. So, if we come into them as bodily experiences, the response is really clear. So, we're sitting here, mind's been, may have been away thinking for half an hour, and we, but we suddenly recognise, mindfulness is re-established, we recognise what it feels like. And this is really profound. Oh, I'm starting to understand something. And the more we start to understand what they feel like from an embodied place, the freer we get. And then it gets so this is a real tool because we're thinking, and we're thinking, we're thinking all right but we can actually feel in the body that actually there's a little boiling going on here. So we know we can't trust the thinking because it's hindered. There's some subtle ill will happening. We can feel it in the body. So even if we can't recognize it in the thinking, we know it from what's happening directly here. Because it's not like all thinking's wrong, is it? I mean, there's skillful thinking, there's unskillful thinking, and sometimes it's hard to really recognize the difference. But the body knows. So we trust it. We start to really know these things. So here we are, sitting, establishing mindfulness, feeling, using the breath or whatever object is very comfortable as a support for establishing embodied presence. It's something that the mind can rest on, so that it can enjoy the rhythm 
of that can be at home with. And then experience starts happening. We're just awake to it. None of it's going wrong. And we sit here with the sense of everything belongs. And amongst that is something we really want to hear, that we really love. And that's the breath. So sounds belong, people moving belongs, all of it belongs. We're not having, not coming into contention with experience. But we're just listening to something we really love. We're letting this breath do its thing, breath breathing itself. It just comes and it goes. Can we keep the mind upright, letting the breath come to it, touch it as it will, go as it needs to? You can even feel in terms of the breath, we can be leaned forward trying to get it or do it or watch it or something it, and we're just resting back, just letting ourselves be done by breathing. Breath comes all on its own. And then within that, we notice when we're out of balance. Something's happening we don't like. And just we're just contracted back a little. Or whatever is happening. And and we use the, this practice at times of formal meditation to really develop the skills, the fluency, the malleability of mind. So that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, the mind is malleable, wieldy. Another metaphor the Buddha used for, for the hindrances was like if gold has a whole lot of impurities in it, you can't work it, you can't, you can't turn it to all beautiful ornaments or, or jewels or anything. That's too brittle. But when you free it of impurities, it's malleable, it's workable. You can fashion whatever you like. And in the same way when the mind is hindered, it's kind of brittle and it's not workable. We can't... It just doesn't have fluency, um, flexibility. But as these hindrances fall away, we have this mind that's malleable, wieldy, flexible, responsive. This is the possibility. And so we sit in moments we feel this tremendous flexibility the mind can have. But it can really allow breath to happen. No grasping, no wanting, no doing. It's completely freed out of all of this. And we recognize the moments when we're subtly doing it. We're just starting to really know this. And 
So it is with the breath, so it is with everything. Our relationship to everything. So it's really powerful. And maybe the breath is a mirror. It's a mirror of everything. And that's why these things are so powerful. We can see the, our own tendencies of mind and how we relate to it. But we also see the nature of all things, of movement, the freedom of everything. So it's to stay heartful in this. It's worth establishing mindfulness, being clear what we're doing. And if you're finding you're getting tired with this, even if you just determine to do it for half of the sitting, mm. ten minutes at the beginning of the sitting, whatever feels manageable. And then we come back to it. Just we're developing the capacity. Mm. Just for ten minutes, whenever I realize the mind is feeding, I'll bring it back. Yeah, and then we start noticing the results of that. Or just for the next breath, if I notice the mind is feeding or pushing away, I'll just relax that. And just let the breath happen. So we keep it as so we can keep heartful, we can we can keep a sense of yes about the whole practice. It is possible. This body mind can make this cultivation. Mm. Mm. Keep tuning in. And then oh breath is happening. And the mind's been resting with it. It's been noticing the different qualities of it. It's been feeling it. Realize meditation is happening by itself. So let's, if you need to stretch for a moment, we'll just sit for a while together <coughs> and then we can have a little period of you know, questions and responses if, if there are anything there. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.